Hello, everybody, and welcome to Time and Detention, the podcast dedicated to helping you become a better, more intentional human being. I'm the co-host of this show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number 101, The Flip Phone Experiment. How'd it go? Well, it went, uh, we, we could say. The people have been... Uh, uh, looking forward to this episode. We've, we've been getting emails. Where Where's the flip phone episode? Here it is. Yeah, we got kind of sick um, for like a whole two, three weeks. It was pretty rough. The timing has not... Not been good. No. no. <laughs> um, but let's refresh people's memories. What was the flip phone experiment? Why are we even talking about this? Yeah, so all the way back in episode 97, we, I detailed my next productivity experiment to switch from a, a brand new iPhone 14 Pro purple edition, of course. Why would you buy a, a, a different color? Because people have different preferences. The, the, this is the only preference that matters is the purple one. Um, and <laughs> so I, I bought this new phone, but realized that I didn't really enjoy the time that I spent on it. It wasn't meaningful. It usually wasn't productive. And so I thought, okay, what would it be like to go back to a flip phone for a period of a month? Did you go how you thought it would go? Did I go how I thought I would go? No. Did the experiment go the way you thought it would? (laughs) No. No, definitely not. Uh, The Apple ecosystem... Mm-hmm. You don't realize it. It's that old quote, uh, you know, <laughs> ask a fish how the water is and they ask, what, what's water? Ask an Apple user who is deeply embedded in the Apple ecosystem, so how, how would you function on a flip phone? And they would have no idea what to tell you until experiencing a lack of that ecosystem in their pocket. It turns out uh, a flip phone is the uh, digital uh, equivalent of a grenade that you throw in this beautiful walled garden that you're in uh, that blows the walls off and nobody can iMessage you. I don't <laughs> think the issue... So I think you're totally right that there are, you realize just how how elaborate this ecosystem was once yeah. you left it. But I actually will push your little metaphor a little farther. Oh. I don't think this is just specifically... Uh, it doesn't. I don't think it just awares, raises awareness of the Apple ecosystem issues. I think it just raises awareness of like how much benefit or utility you get from a smartphone. Period. That maybe you aren't even aware of because it's just embedded in our day to day lives. And once you remove that, even the Apple question aside, I think ecosystem agnostic. I think this experiment highlighted all the things you actually do use a smartphone for. Whether or not it's an Apple phone, I think it highlighted that you do get more utility out of your phone than you thought. I, I think that's true to an extent, though, because, you know, we, we talked about the jobs to be done theory, mm-hmm. I think, on episode 90, whatever the heck it was, uh, when we were introducing this experiment. And I, I'm into technology and I, I feel, you know, I, I'm a huge tech nerd. And so I feel I, I can, I'm kind of dexterous when it comes to using different devices to usurp the jobs that the old devices used to do. Uh, So I I can use my iPad uh, mini to do a lot of the jobs that my phone used to do for me. It can't be a boarding pass. 
Uh, it can't. Uh, it, it, I don't know if it has the Apple Pay or NFC or even how that would look holding an iPad Mini next to a, a it would payment. Probably look just as ridiculous as people who use iPads to take photos. Like, yeah, no, no judgment. Uh, no, no there's, judgment. There's a but camera it, on it there. It looks. Uh, it looks different when uh, people do that. Use what you got. Use <laughs> what you got. Um, but uh, that's my pet peeve. By the way, is when you're at an event. And everybody's holding up their phone. Mm-hmm. And so you see a sea of phones. This, this was true for your graduation recently. Uh. And I just looked around and thought, oh, this is the world now. It's and- like when we went to Greece and everybody, we're in Santorini. It's so beautiful. The beautiful sunset, everybody goes there to see and everyone's just looking at this beautiful sunset through their phones. (laughs) They're not just enjoying it. Oh man, we have a photo. I don't think we have any photos of the sunset, but we certainly have photos of all of the people taking photos of the sunset. It's kind of funny. Because it's like surreal. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a meme. Anyway. Well, it goes to the science of savoring. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What what good is a positive experience in your life if you don't actually appreciate it? Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it, it was it was a really interesting experiment. So uh, I, I started on the phone that was the Alcatel. Uh, what is it called? The Alcatel Go Flip Three. <laughs> interesting name for, for a product. Had a very satisfying flip sound. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And if you go back to episode ninety, whatever the heck, you can see you can hear the flip phone sound in all of its glory. Um, that phone kind of sucked. Though mm-hmm. uh, I was missing a, a lot of messages, a lot of text messages, MMS messages, which are the the green bubble group conversations. If you're on iMessage or just a regular uh, MMS group conversation, if you're on a different platform, uh, and wasn't a fan of that phone whatsoever. Uh, terrible camera. Uh, the the pictures were comically bad. Of we we did an escape room, and I took. Uh, a side by side. We took one with your iPhone and one with the flip phone. I'll try to make it the chapter art uh, for for this part of the podcast. If you have a podcast player that supports that, uh, to, for a side by side snapshot of of the difference between these photos. Um, but after that, I switched to a, a phone called the Punked. P U N K T. I'm not sure how to pronounce uh, this company, but it's designed as a, an analog device. So you can text from it. It's still T9, so it feels like you're going back in time ever so slightly. But it does support some IP messaging services. There's no camera. Uh, There's a contact app, which uh, cannot be said about the Alcatel Go Flip. I I couldn't find a way to sync my contacts with the device, which was a, a huge, huge shortcoming of this thing, even though I had, um, you know, calendar or, or contact files in the industry format. Uh, and uh, yes, but the, the punked phone, if, if you're looking for an analog device, maybe that you want to dip in and out of, quite like it. How long did this last? Uh, yeah. Let's dig into it. So how did it actually go? That's what you tried to do. <laughs> yeah. And I think early on, I think I called the, the problem was not the I, having a smartphone itself. I thought the problem was just the actual phone you have. I think you just don't like that phone. Oh, I, I do that not like this phone. That was my prediction. No, and the, the, it's way too big. <laughs> I know. And yes, the smartphones or the flip phones were also smaller, but I'm going to just point out a lot of people after our original episode 97 said, hey, maybe have you considered getting an iPhone mini? And I felt so vindicated because that's what I have been saying. I think you would just enjoy a smaller form factor more than switching entirely, but Back to the point, how, how did this actually go? You tried these two different flip phones or analog phones. 
What happened with that? Yeah. Well, to that point on whether I liked the the phone itself, I do not like this iPhone. I know. It's way too big. And I think the problem <laughs> is that phones are designed now for people uh, for whom the the phone is their main personal computer. And for me, that's just not the case. For me, my laptop is my main personal computer. I use the laptop on the couch in my office when I'm traveling. That's my go-to device. I like having the keyboard and a trackpad and it's fast and I can do whatever I want. Um, My whole philosophy is the digital world exists to make our lives more efficient the analog world exists to make our lives more meaningful. And so this phone is very much designed for somebody for whom this is their main personal computer. Uh, it's the, the screen is too big for me. The phone is, has way too much power for what I need. Uh, for me, it's just kind of the wrong, uh, the wrong device. And, I, I, the, you know, you mentioned the iPhone mini and the, this phone, this device really sticks for people for whom the iPhone is not their main computer yeah. because they just want to minimize the phone part of their, their digital life and maximize where they can actually get things done. Mm-hmm. And so I regret buying this phone because it, I don't want this to be my main computer, but yet because of that whole jobs to be done theory that we talked about where we essentially hire the different devices in our job in, in our life to do jobs for us. Our phone is our boarding pass. It's our alarm clock. It tracks our sleep. It is our calendar. It's our phone. It's our everything device. Um, because it's so many jobs it, it, it and it's such a a commanding device in our life. I, I just don't enjoy the time that I spend on it. Um, it's It feels shallow. It feels less important than an actual uh, personal computer or time with somebody in person. So what did you learn from this that you didn't know ahead of time? Yeah. So I think first is that modern communication kind of sucks. Communication used to be analog. And we used to gather in groups and communities and churches and uh, just all different forms of, of gathering. And now that gathering is digital. And I think that is a huge, huge loss for the world. Um, because w- when our gathering is digital, when we share these digital messages with one another, it's shallower than, than other forms of communication. You know, I think the, the issue here is that this technology has become infused with the ways that we communicate um, because that presence of that technology is digital after all. So it makes uh, the, the communication a bit more shallow, but maybe infused isn't the right word. Maybe fused is the right perspective here. And there, there are a lot of downsides, I think, that we haven't really accounted for here in, in this new uh, technological age that we're in. Like we can connect with anybody on the planet in the moment, but at the expense of that analog connection of not connecting with the person that's right in front of us, the coffee shop barista, a stranger on the bus, uh, somebody sitting on a park bench. We just uh, walk past all of them because we're listening to something from our phone, because we're using our phone as well. Um, There was one quote that uh, really came to mind. I I went back and dug it up. It's from the book Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. Excellent book. I think you've mentioned this on the podcast. Yeah, I love this book. uh, Where, you know, this, he he writes in the book about how the medium becomes entangled with the message, how 
the medium can become the message. And I think that's the case with the phone and how communication is more shallow. It's a bit emptier. It's based on us trading dopamine hits with one another instead of genuinely connecting with somebody. Uh, But I I pulled a quote from here and I I challenge you to try not to think of of TikTok and and social media when you hear this. You ready? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a little paragraph. Okay. Does this qualify under fair use? I have no idea. That's your domain. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully it's public domain. Okay. What what he wrote is uh, what Orwell feared, George Orwell, he's talking, he's kind of, he's kind of comparing and contrasting George Orwell's 1984 with uh, Aldous Huxley. Is that how you pronounce it? Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley, a, a brave new world. He writes, quote, What Orwell feared were those who would ban books. Aldous Huxley feared in A Brave New World was that there would be no reason to ban a book for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared that we would become a trivial culture, preoccupied with some equivalent uh, of the feelies, the orgy-porgy, and the centrifugal bumbly Bumble Puppy. Those are all references from A Brave New World. Oh, these aren't. Yeah. Uh, he no, wasn't he didn't trying just to make these up. He wasn't yeah, yeah. trying to pull a Shakespeare. The feelies, for example, are like hypersensitive, like sensory overload kind of movies that are. I believe it's been a while since I read it, but mm. they like overload your senses with with um, information, and they're just really stimulating. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Uh, as Huxley remarked in a Brave New World Revisited, the civil libertarians and rationalists who are ever on the alert to oppose tyranny quote failed to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions. End quote. Kind of dark. That book is amazing, though, because so this book was written in the 80s and it was actually talking about television as the problem. Yeah, yeah. And I think the fact that we were talking about television being so concerning for people's attention, that's only been amplified, I think, by more modern technology. I do think I do think very rightfully a lot of people are becoming more aware of this problem. I mean, more and more people are worried about their the fact that their attention is just being totally overtaken by some of these devices and that's bringing more awareness to the problem. Um, and I think bringing this back to your kind of comment about how modern communication sucks in your words. Yes. Yeah. Sucks. I think I, because I think you can think of email, it could be a more efficient way to send a letter, right? I mean, if you think Mm -hmm. of not all communication happens face to face, lots of communication happened over writing. I mean, think of any Jane Austen book. So much of the good communication is happening over a letter and that could happen over like, over email, but the problem is when you are able to do things so efficiently, the marginal cost of like sending one more email or one more text is really low. And so that opens you up to a lot more volume in this kind of communication at the cost of like quality to some extent. Because you can still send, you could send the beautiful Mr. Darcy letter to uh, Elizabeth. That's totally a possibility. However, I mean, if anybody has gotten to the end of the day and said, how do I have 250 new emails already mm-hmm. after clearing my email today? <laughs> we know that this there's a lot more, it's it's so much easier to send 
kind of meh emails, like mediocre communication methods. And that's the same thing for text or messenger or whatever communication technology you're using. And and this was a big lesson from this experiment is I I enjoyed connecting with people a lot more Mm -hmm. uh, during this experiment. I I don't think, you know, that you must allow me to tell you how much I ardently admire and and love this, this this (laughs) flip. There's a... Mr. Darcy well re- reference well in there. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this experiment. And I really do think modern communication culture sucks because of the norms mm-hmm. that we have around it. Uh, the norms around immediacy, the norms around n- connecting digitally instead of in person, uh, the norms for having a phone nearby so that, you know, even if you're with somebody in person and they're in front of you, you're still connected to that digital world. Uh, communication has become more digital than it has become physical. And you can see this just in how we spend our time every day. We spend over 13 hours every day looking at screens, which leaves, it drowns out very little opportunity for genuine connection after that point. Crowds out is the, the word you're looking Crowds for. Out. Crowds yeah, out. Yeah, there, there we go. If there was an alternative way of connecting with people that I love and care about that didn't involve any of these trade-offs and sacrifices and was a genuine improvement over what came before, I would switch to that in a heartbeat. Um, but it's just not realistic to go to a flip phone in 2023. It's just a part of that, you know, I think that's so obvious that it barely needs to be said. Uh, but at the same time, it, it's, it wasn't obvious to me before this experiment because like electricity, like oxygen, it's only uh, from a lack of those things that you realize how much you need them until they're gone. And uh, taking a- away this communication device, even though communication is shallow, that's still the communication norm that's out there. Definitely the norm. I think from this though, there are some obvious takeaways, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the response to that is maybe manage the way your friends and your family communicate. Yeah. I mean, I have, I think I'm, I'm not super great about texting back really quickly and mm-hmm. no one in my immediate family is like my brother is notorious for oh, your brother's taking the days. Worst. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but within our family chat, we know that like sometimes responses take about 24 hours yeah. and I have nicely, I don't know how I've been able to do this, but all of my like best friends or closest friends, all of them have gotten into the habit of calling each other. We mm. all call each other when we have something to actually That's coordinate nice. or yeah. talk about. I don't really text my friends all day or most days, to be totally honest. Um, but I do call them probably several times a week yeah. because it's just a way more effective and meaningful way of connecting with them rather mm-hmm. than these like ridiculous text conversations that might take days and go back and forth and nothing really gets said. So I think that maybe the solution here is manage your norms yeah. within your your social groups because mm-hmm. you can make this kind of communication better and you're not going to be able to do this in all spaces of your life, for mm-hmm. sure. You're going to still, still get work emails that are annoying but or like just a million emails that are annoying. Yeah. <laughs> However, you can mitigate this to make sure you cultivate more meaningful communication experiences. Because I think one of the big things you took away was that there were huge social costs 
was switching to an iPhone. Because I mean, even very- Including with you. Oh yeah, don't even. This was very frustrating. The, the wife cost was, yes. was quite large. I mean, I just think there are so many little things because yes, 100%, those meaningful interactions, you want to make sure they're done in a way that allows for that meaning to come through. Mm-hmm. But sometimes if I just want you to coordinate something with your like group of <laughs> friends and you fall out of that Facebook or that messaging group and they have to come to me because yeah. you're not accessible anymore, that's just a logistics thing. You don't need to add meaning to logistics, right? I think you're being a little hard on all communication, but it also makes this kind of stuff really easy. You can coordinate a games night in five minutes Mm -hmm. rather than having to send letters. When when efficiency matters. Yeah. And usually efficiency matters less than meaning when it comes to uh, personal communication, I would argue. Yeah. So there are lots of spaces where like the medium is actually way more efficient than anything we had before. And that's why people use it because it does add value in those spaces. And so those things happen a lot more than I think you had anticipated ahead of time, which meant that a lot of people were now using me as a way to get to you because you fell out of all of their group chats. And this actually had some pretty bad consequences. Like you had a family member get sick during the course of the experiment. This was what uh, motivated me to stop the experiment early, in fact. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'd switched from the Alcatel phone to the uh, punked, I don't don't know how to pronounce this, the the punk. P-U-N-K-T, a phone. And I was still getting, you know, text messages at this point, but I fell out of every iMessage conversation. So people were going on with them. They were messaging me or at least trying to, but I wasn't receiving anything, even on the devices that I had that have iMessage on. I, I don't know if this was a bug. I don't know if this is the way it's supposed to work, probably because of the lock-in it, it is. Um, but a family member got sick. Um, and I was missing updates about uh, mm-hmm. about that, and I thought no uh, productivity experiment is too important to miss updates about the, the health uh, of somebody that I love and care about. So I ended the experiment about three weeks in. Uh, I also thought at the time, wait, I'm an adult here, and I could just stop this experiment if I wanted to. <laughs> and, and I'm an adult that's supposed to function in society and have a, a personal life and a work life that is now being compromised. I am ending it. And I definitely have a different relationship with my phone after the experiment. You know, thinking about the ways that we communicate, how those are shallow and, uh, and less meaningful than they. Uh, could be uh, what was an interesting part, but uh, that relationship that we have with our smartphone, I think, is an interesting thing to think about uh, because you know uh, something I've been thinking about lately with friendship as I've been uh, investing more time in friendships lately. Um, f- friendship is really just a function of how much time you spend with somebody, how much cumulative time you spend with somebody. The more time the deeper the friendship generally. And we spend a lot of time with our phones. And so I think it's worth evaluating that relationship. You know, imagine your relationship with your smartphone is an actual relationship. Is it a good one? Sometimes it's tough to distinguish between whether we're unhappy with our phone or whether we're unhappy with the amount of time we spend on it. And I think that's that was uh, interesting to untangle. For me, it was uh, a bit of both going into this experiment and changing that relationship definitely helped. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Because there, I, and I, we were talking about this a little while ago, because there was a paper, at least one study came out a little while ago, um, in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships. I have it up in front of me. It's by Jeffrey A. Hall. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. And it's a, it's called How Many Hours Does It Take to Make a Friend? And I think there have been a few studies along these lines. 
But it's really interesting because like there's almost a like a linear relationship between how much time people spend together and how long it takes for them to call each other a close friend. It's like once you reach a certain hour milestone, that's when you consider somebody a good friend or a close friend or a best friend once you reach a certain number of hours. So it's really just a function of how much quality time. And it does have to be quality. If you're just at a dinner table together on your phone, that's not quality time. It's really kind of the sum of quality attention. Yeah. Yeah. And so the amount of time that you're focused on one another and spending like quality time together is basically a function or that is determining how likely you are to become a close friend or how, Mm. how close you believe you are to that person. So there is a relationship there. What are the numbers? Oh, okay. So let's, for, for example, after only five hours together, only 10 to 15% of people would call somebody a good or a best friend, which seems really high or even a friend at all. Sorry. A best friend? A, a friend, a good friend or best friend. I'm grouping okay. those three together. Oh, okay. However, by the time somebody has, so at, actually at five hours, nobody considers each other a best friend. Okay. After about 40 hours together, um, now about 10, 12% of people consider each other good friends mm-hmm. and over 50% consider you either a friend or a good friend. So that's at 40 hours. 40 hours. If you go up to then like a hundred hours or 110 hours at this point, again, you're kind of over, you're about over 60% of people who think that they're friends or good friends. And by the time you spend 650 hours together, um, if you're not a classmate, right? So there's either, you have either moved from acquaintance mm. into the friendship category or you're still in the coworker category and that's fine. I mean, you're probably never going to make all your coworkers your friends, but you're going to spend a lot of time with them. But if you have spent 650 hours with somebody, somebody is about, you have a 10% chance or 10% of people will claim that person's a best friend. And over 70% of people are going to claim they're at least a friend or a good friend or a best friend. Interesting. Yeah. And as if you spend over 650 hours together, that's when you get over 35% of people are going to claim that that person's your best friend. Wow. Yeah. So there is like, as you spend more and more time together, assuming you're not a coworker, you end up with much stronger ties to that person. And this is physical time together? Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So digital time. Yeah. Doesn't count. I mean, it's if you're engaging in like a phone call, I think that would fall in their methodology. You can all read the paper. Yeah. It's a very accessible paper. But all that to say, it is a really interesting idea. It's, there's this relationship between time spent together and how much, how close you believe you are and to somebody. And it's linear. Not totally linear, but it's close to linear. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the relationships we have matter, including the relationship with the device in your pocket. So what can listeners take away from this? I think there are a few lessons. Like mm-hmm. as an outsider, yeah, I watched this all unfold and all of a sudden you were back on your flip phone or smartphone, <laughs> sorry, um, which was, I think, not terribly surprising to me. I'm actually really surprised you haven't sold this phone and got an iPhone mini. I think that it might be in your future, but we will see. But I think it was really interesting to see how you use your device after yeah. you aren't on your phone as much. So I think no. this was almost a, a kind of an awareness reset where I think it made you very aware of all of the utility or benefit you do get from having a smartphone. Mm -hmm. Because I think even in the kind of kickoff episode, I was pretty open about all the things I thought I got from my phone. And I think you weren't quite as on board with the idea that there might be things that you are getting from your phone that you didn't realize. And I think that... It, it, like as an outsider, it seems like you're mm-hmm. more aware of those things now, which I think is really important, right? Because you should be aware of how you're interacting with the devices in your life. 
But that said, I do also notice you are using it less or maybe more intentionally. So, yeah, and you're also nagging me less to use my phone for stuff that you can't do when oh. you have a dumb flip <laughs> yeah, phone. You, so you that's must, nice. <laughs> you must be enjoying that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think awareness reset was, mm. is the perfect frame for this experiment. Because, uh, you know, it's by stepping back from the habits in our life that we get perspective on them. And whether they're healthy, whether they're unhealthy, what place uh, a device like our smartphone deserves to have in our life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a, a big takeaway from this is the smartphone is an unfortunate modern necessity. Uh, it, it, it maybe isn't the best for our mental health it maybe isn't the best for uh, living a good life even. And maybe the less time we spend on our smartphone, the better we feel. But at the same time, everybody expects you to have one. It's just a, a, an expectation uh, if you want to function in a modern society that you have a smartphone. Um, you know, Everybody expects you to have one, to communicate with one using specific apps even like iMessage. Every single person I know except for one person has an iPhone, Andrew. Uh, it's kind of hilarious how deeply embedded we are within that. But maybe it's WhatsApp, maybe it's Slack, maybe it's Facebook Messenger, maybe it's Instagram. These are apps that are part of our modern communication culture. You can argue for better, for worse, but they're there. And so we need this device in our life. And, uh, you know, removing yourself from that communication flow is a really, really big luxury. And you can do that with devices like the Punked, like a, a flip phone temporarily. So you can dip in and out of that communication flow if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is a luxury. It is a luxury to be able to do so. Not everybody can. Um, but I, I think it's so critical that we keep in mind these uh, these consequences of spending too much time on a device like this one you know having our uh, having this communication machine in our pocket um, mind how that affects the communication that you have uh, mind how the medium can become the message uh, mind how deeply embedded you might be in an ecosystem mind how much uh, utility some uh, your phone provides you with because maybe it's more than you expect as I found in this experiment uh, mind the relationship ultimately that you have with this device. Um, because the more time you spend with the, de the device, I don't know if this qualifies in the same way that a, uh, a human to human relationship would, but ultimately at the end of the day, we do have a relationship with our phone. We spend uh, an incredible amount of time on it and it's worth evaluating whether that relationship is a good one whether it brings more to us than 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 it uh, detracts in terms of uh, its drawbacks and so something to keep in mind mm -hmm. are you happy it's over yeah, I mean, I, I, I think uh, I think I called what the results of this film experiment <laughs> yeah. would be. Um, so my hypothesis, I'm going to say, was uh, was bang on. Yeah. Interesting, though, how so much of this comes back to awareness at the end of the day. Yeah, being sure. a, Being aware of how something affects your life, whether what it brings and what it takes away at, at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and that will help you also limit the kind of negative things because 100%. <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely somebody who is very grateful for a lot of the things I get to do with my devices. I get a lot of benefit from those things. And you can go back to the episode to, talk, to hear about that. But I'm also very mindful of things that would be very negative and bring a lot of negativity to my life. And yeah. I think I've been pretty good at limiting those, but awareness is a huge part of that. And if you're not yeah. aware, you can't limit those things. So 
It's all about awareness. Love it. So, finishing up time and attention.fm is where you can find the show notes for this episode. I uh, hope uh, we've offered you a bit of food for thought today. Mm-hmm. And hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you in a couple Tuesdays. Bye. Bye.